0: This is Diane Horn, your host on the sustainability segment of Mind Over Matters on KEXP Seattle 90.3 FM by mobile app and on the web at KEXP.org. My guest today is Patty Goldman, Managing Attorney for the Northwest Office of Earth Justice, a nonprofit public interest law firm. Patty leads Earth Justice's pesticide work. Her litigation experience includes notable successes in restoring Pacific salmon, protecting the region's southern resident orca whales, and limiting exposure to hazardous pesticides, particularly those that harm farmworkers workers and their families. Patty Goldman is here to tell us about efforts to ban Clopyrifos, a pesticide widely used in agriculture, which is associated with both pesticide poisoning and chronic health effects. So welcome, Patty. Good morning. Would you begin by saying a few words about Earth Justice and the Northwest Office?
1: Earth Justice is a national nonprofit organization that represents people when they need to go to court to protect the environment or the right of all people to a healthy environment. We've been around since the very early 1970s, and we've been in the Northwest since 1987. In the Northwest, we started by protecting old growth forests and salmon and orcas, and now we're in the middle of all sorts of battles over fossil fuels and clean energy policies.
0: So what is clopyrifos?
1: Clopyrifos is a neurotoxic pesticide. It's in a class of pesticides called organophosphates. It was developed by the Nazis in World War II as a nerve agent. And then after the war, it was developed and all sorts of others, about four dozen different kinds of makeups of this kind of pesticide to be used in agriculture and in the home. It is neurotoxic. It affects the nerve system, makes the system go pretty much haywire, and people get very sick. That's the acute toxicity. And what we've been learning more recently is about some very pernicious, long-lasting effects, particularly on children.
0: Would you say more about the ways chlorpyrifos is currently used and what the reasons are?
1: Well, it's an easy pesticide to use because it affects anything with the nervous system, So it is sprayed when various pests crop up on the crops. And it's used on about four dozen different kinds of crops. The good thing is it's not used in the home anymore. Back in 2000, all uses in the home were ended because of its toxicity to children. I mean, before that, children would crawl around on carpets and hug their pets and be exposed that way. And EPA decided it was far too toxic to expose children that way.
0: How widespread is the use of chlorpyrifos at present? It's one of the
1: most widely used pesticides, about 5 million pounds a year across the entire country. It's used in big crops like corn and soy and cotton, but it's also used in a lot of orchards and row crops like apples and grapes and strawberries and melons. And in those kind of uses, there's a lot of human exposure, both the people who apply the pesticide and people who are nearby, because the pesticide will float through the air. It will affect people in their homes, in their yards, at schools, both in the air and when they touched surfaces that have been treated.
0: In what parts of the U.S. is clopyrifos most commonly used? Where are the concentrations?
1: Well, where we have agriculture, California is the largest state in terms of exposures and poisonings. Washington, Oregon, Michigan, you know, a lot of the places where we grow different fruits and vegetables. But it's also used in the big ag kind of corn, soy, cotton states as
0: well. Would you say more about the health risks of chlorpyrifos for humans?
1: Well, I mentioned the acute poisonings, and we've known that for decades. It's one of the top poisoners of people that we have on records. It's usually up there among the top five. But what we've learned over the last 15, 20 years is that it's also associated at very low doses with brain damage to children. So the studies are very interesting. The Centers for Disease Control funded studies that would follow women in their pregnancy and trace what they were exposed to and then follow the children. And what the different studies found, and this is Columbia, University of California, Berkeley, Mount Sinai School of Medicine – is that low-level exposures are associated with reduced IQ, with developmental delays, autism, attention deficit disorder, all sorts of learning disabilities. I mean, pretty much every parent's nightmare. And these exposures have happened when the women showed no precursors of the acute poisoning. So the levels that EPA has been allowing for the last 20 years are not protective enough.
0: What are the main ways that people are exposed to clopyroflos? You said a bit about that earlier, but say more.
1: Well, when EPA started to look at what would be needed to protect children from brain damage, it found this pesticide unsafe every way people are exposed to it. So in food, in food in particular, it found that infants who are the most exposed population are exposed to 140 times what would be safe. It's ubiquitous in drinking water. That was the first unsafe exposure that EPA identified. It's unsafe at places where it can drift from the fields where it's applied And EPA found it unsafe up to 300 feet, but that's only because it models only up to 300 feet. And it's very unsafe for the workers who mix it
0: and apply it in virtually any way that they're exposed. How much exposure to coplarifloss actually takes place? What is the evidence? Well, the
1: evidence is detections in drinking water. There have been some studies both by community groups and by the California Air Resources Board where there's monitoring your schools And the monitoring has shown chlorpyrifos in the schoolyards at dangerous levels. And as I said, people are poisoned by it. One of the comprehensive databases is testing of foods. And when EPA tests the foods, it finds chlorpyrifos, including at unsafe levels. One of the most disturbing findings has been chlorpyrifos in the melon itself, not the rind, but the melon, so that it's getting into the food in a systematic way.
0: How widespread is the monitoring for Klopyrifos? Well, it's
1: only spot-check monitoring. There's no real comprehensive, but the food monitoring is as much as we've got. There's some monitoring every year of some foods, but the, the samples are pretty minimal. So the fact that they're finding it and finding it at harmful levels is disturbing.
0: So how much risk is there from clopyrifos for buyers of food?
1: Oh, I think it's hugely concerning because such low doses can have these pernicious effects. So, I mean, EPA has said in order to protect children from the damage to their brains, the pesticide has to be banned in all its uses. And infants are at most risk and in utero exposures, but at any sensitive life phase, particularly adolescents and, you know, when bodies are developing and neurological systems are developing, there are risks from this pesticide.
0: How does chlorpyrifos affect the environment and wildlife? Well, it's
1: bad for pretty much anything with a nervous system. So it, it has been reviewed for only certain kinds of wildlife. But here in the Northwest, there's a comprehensive review for its impacts on salmon and orca whales. And what the fisheries experts found a year ago was that all of the salmon populations that are on the endangered species list are at risk from chlorpyrifos, and that's a population-level risk, a risk of extinction. And then it also found that the orca whales that are loyal to this area are at risk because their main food is Chinook salmon, the biggest and fattiest salmon. Since those salmon are at risk, then the orcas are also at risk. And the orcas only have 74 individuals left. They've been starving, and so this is something that we don't need to add to their plight.
0: I'm Diane Horn, and my guest is Patty Goldman, Managing Attorney for the Northwest Office of Earth Justice. Our topic is efforts to ban the pesticide chlorpyrifos. And you are tuned to the sustainability segment of Mind Over Matters on listener-powered KEXP, 90.3 FM by mobile app, and on the web at KEXP.org. Why is chlorpyrifos of special concern in Washington state? Well, in
1: Washington state, it's widely used on apples and pears, many of the orchard crops. It has been one of the pesticides associated with poisonings of farm workers. We have had medical monitoring of farm workers who apply this kind of pesticide for about 20 years. And that's been a great thing because then they're pulled out of the field when they're at risk of poisoning events. But we still see those levels that require those kinds of actions. There's also been monitoring in schools where this pesticide has been found in the schoolyard. So it's out there, it's in our water, and it affects our salmon and our orca whales.
0: Would there be a safer way of using clopyrifos? Why ban it?
1: Well, it would be hard to find a way that people aren't exposed. And when people are exposed, then it's dangerous. You know, if it's in the air, it drifts, it volatilizes, it exposes people. It gets into water through runoff, it exposes people. It's in our food I mean, one of the troubling things in Washington state is that it is a widely used pesticide on apples, but over the last 10 years, it's not allowed on the trees when the apples have formed. It's only allowed beforehand, and yet it's still found in the apples.
0: Would you now give an overview of the history and timeline of efforts to ban chlorpyrifos?
1: Well, that's a long story. (laughs) It actually starts with getting stronger protections adopted by Congress unanimously in 1996 to protect children from pesticides. Up to that time, EPA had looked at adult men and not at children. And The National Academy of Sciences chastised EPA for doing so and said that it really had to look at children. They're not just little adults. They eat different things. They drink a lot more liquids and water mixed in their juices. They put their hands in their mouths more than we do, roll around with their pets on the carpets or the lawns. And so they have a lot of exposure and a lot of vulnerable periods of development. So in implementing that law, EPA for the first time applied health standards to chlorpyrifos and made a decision that all of the home uses had to go. Some of the other uses had to go, like on apple trees after the apples are formed. But it cut a deal and left this pesticide on the market in most agricultural uses. So at that time, we and our colleagues petitioned EPA to ban this pesticide. We wanted EPA to address how it drifts through the air and exposes people in schools and homes, and we wanted EPA to address the growing evidence of brain damage to children from the very low-level exposures. That was 2007. We had to sue EPA several times To get court deadlines for it to act on that petition. And it did, over time, review all the science and solicit input from its scientific advisory panel and found that this pesticide causes damage to children's brains, and it does so at far lower doses than EPA had used in setting what is allowed on our food. So that was all progress. It took a lot of time. Finally, we had a proposal to ban this pesticide in 2015. And we had a deadline for a final action in March of 2017. Something happened. (laughs) We had an election, a new administration, and Scott Pruitt became the new EPA administrator. One of the first things on his plate was making a decision on chlorpyrifos. He was sworn in in February. The decision had to be made at the end of March. He met with the CEO of Dow, He met with a trade group for the chemical companies that make pesticides. He and his aides met with different growers who all asked him to keep this pesticide on the market. The staff had drafted a ban. They were ready to finalize that if he signed it. Instead, his chief of staff came in to the acting administrator and said, now, I want to know the other options. What else can we do? Can we get more time? Is there some other course of action? And what they came up with was just what they called a legalese option to say, well, we're going to deny the petition because we want to study this some more. So it's a final decision denying the petition, but it's not a decision at all. It's continuing to study the science for five more years. He wanted to drag this out till 2022. So that happened. And we filed an administrative appeal, which is provided for in the statute. And we went to court. And that was June of 2017. We asked the court to rule on the legal issues, even though the appeal hadn't been decided. The appeal goes to Scott Pruitt, or the administrator, who was Scott Pruitt at the time, and he sat on the appeal. Then we convinced the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals when this case is heard. So that's the appeals court in the West Coast. They expedited the case. We argued it in July The most interesting thing is to look at who signs these decisions. So the decision to deny the petition was signed by Scott Pruitt. I had never seen that before. These decisions had all been signed by much lower level officials. My hypothesis is those officials didn't believe that this was allowed under the law and the science, so they wouldn't sign it. When we got to court, EPA did not defend on the merits. And I think that's because the Department of Justice lawyers didn't have a good faith belief in the merits position that EPA had taken. And lawyers are pretty concerned about that because they can be sanctioned by the court if they make representations that aren't supported by the law or the facts. So what they did instead of defending on the merits is said the court shouldn't decide the case. It should wait until Scott Pruitt decides the appeal, which, of course, he hadn't done, and at the argument offered no timeline for it. So on the merits, and I should just explain this a little bit because— why I'm saying that nobody would sign it. The merits are so clear. Under the law that was adopted to protect children, EPA cannot allow a pesticide to be used on our food unless it can make an affirmative finding that the pesticide is safe. Here it did not make that finding. It could not make that finding. And in different risk assessments that spanned hundreds of pages and were subject to scientific peer review, it found the opposite. It found this pesticide unsafe. And so it's illegal. Congress said we will not let pesticides that harm children in this way in our food and in our drinking water, and yet that is what this decision did. So we argued the case in July, and then in August, the Ninth Circuit agreed with us. Two of the judges said waiting for the appeal is not required under these circumstances. It would be futile, and EPA is using the appeal process to perpetuate its violation of the law. And on the merits, there's no defense. There was one dissenting judge. So in a two-to-one decision, the court ordered EPA to ban the use of chlorpyrifos on food. Gave them a 60-day deadline. It's a little bit of a misnomer. We only get the 60-day deadline in place when this is all over, and we're still playing around in the courts for a while.
0: So what kind of response did you get to the ruling of the court to ban chlorpyrifos?
1: Well, it was an amazing response. There was such an outpouring of hope. Because the rule of law was prevailing, because this depraved attempt to keep this pesticide on the market and in our foods and bodies had been rebuffed. And the thing that was so moving was how many people had personal stories personal stories of their parents working in the fields and being poisoned by pesticides, or having a child that had learning disabilities and they'd been exposed to pesticides. And feared that that was why. And just so many people that have been affected and were hopeful because the rule of law was working. And it seemed like it gave a lot of people resolve to keep fighting.
0: Where do things stand at this point in time? So, EPA asked the full court,
1: the full Ninth Circuit court, to rehear the case. So, the way the, the process works is originally a three judge panel will decide a case. But there are pretty exceptional circumstances where a party can ask the full court to decide the case because there's a conflict with some other decision of the court or with a decision of the Supreme Court, something like that, and then the courts will want to sort that out. So, EPA has argued that the full court should decide the issue of whether we had to wait for the administrative appeal to be decided. They also asked that the court decide whether the panel overreached by ordering EPA to actually ban the pesticide. On that one, they have a convoluted rationale that there could be yet another round of review if there's a ban that Dow Chemical, the maker of the pesticide, could seek another appeal and wait for that appeal before there would be a final decision. So it's basically an endless cycle, like a treadmill of administrative appeals and futile attempts to get judicial review.
0: You are tuned to the sustainability segment of Mind Over Matters on KEXP Seattle 90.3 FM by mobile app and on the web at kexp.org. I'm Diane Horn, and my guest is Patty Goldman, Managing Attorney for the Northwest Office of Earth Justice. Our topic is efforts to ban the pesticide Klopera Foss. What do you predict the outcome will be?
1: Well, at this point, we have opposed the request for rehearing. There will be a lot of memos, (laughs) a flurry of memos that will go back and forth among the judges. They will need a majority of the active judges to rehear it. I'm hopeful that they'll deny it. I don't think there's merit in denying it. There has been a loosening of the standards over time from the Supreme Court where the requirement to wait for an administrative appeal to be decided is no longer a bar. It's required unless they're unusual circumstances like what we have here. So I'm hopeful that precedent from the Supreme Court has come from judges appointed by Democratic presidents and Republican presidents, and it's grown over time. But, you know, the courts sometimes will decide they want to rehear it, and, you know, it'll depend on how many judges want to go that way, if they can convince their peers. So I'm hopeful, but we'll wait and see.
0: How about alternatives to clopyrifos? Are there reasonable alternatives to protect crops?
1: Yes, that varies crop by crop, but there are a lot of alternatives, both chemical alternatives and a mix of different kinds of growing practices. One thing to remember is we had a proposal to ban this pesticide. We have a deadline of the end of March for that to be finalized. And if that had been finalized, chlorpyrifos would have been out of our food by October 2017, so a year ago. It's been declining in use. There's been a lot of research for 20 years on alternatives. There have been a lot of growers that have shifted to different kinds of growing
0: practices. What steps is the U.S. Congress taking to address chlorpyrifos?
1: Well, there have been bills introduced in both the House and the Senate to ban chlorpyrifos, And also to review the whole class of organophosphate pesticides. So chlorpyrifos is one of about two dozen left on the market. There used to be about four dozen, but those have been declining in use and in approvals to be used over time. They all act the same way in terms of the acute poisoning, so EPA has to look at them all together and make sure that you won't have the bad effects by two or three of them added together as opposed to just one. And so one of the bills would have an assessment of the cumulative effects on children's brains from all of those pesticides used together, which would be very important in trying to protect children. Those have been introduced. They haven't moved so far, but there are a growing number of co-sponsors. Congress has also engaged in oversight. So while EPA wouldn't really tell the court what was going on, we had letters to several senators that told the court through us that not much was going to happen very soon, and it might take until 2022 until EPA would take any regulatory action.
0: What action are states taking in regard to Klepera
1: A lot of the states were wanting to have EPA take this action, and then they wouldn't need to protect their people But since EPA hasn't acted, we're starting to see bans at a state level. Hawaii was the first one to both ban chlorpyrifos and require more notices to people around where a pesticide would be used, that there's going to be a spraying and some buffers around places like schools. We have bills in Maryland and New Jersey. In California, chlorpyrifos is proposed to be a toxic air contaminant, and the agencies there have found that... It's very risky, too risky to be allowed to be used where it will come into contact with people. They're looking at buffers that are very large, like a half a mile around schools and other places where it would be applied. So all of that is moving forward. It's, it's unfortunate because if you had a nationwide ban, you wouldn't need to go state by state, and you'd have an even playing field, The like growers from one state to another, because they would all be required to find alternatives and to protect the people, water, food from this dangerous pesticide.
0: Would you say just a few words about the federal standards that protect farm workers and their families, as well as the general public, from pesticides? Well, the general
1: public standard is a safety standard that looks at health only. So if a pesticide is unsafe, it cannot be used on our food. And that would include looking at safety in drinking water and from pesticides that drift through the air or that are used in the home, as well as on our food. We have a different standard that's not as strong when it comes to protecting workers or wildlife, and then we have a balancing of the adverse health effects against the benefits of the pesticide for growing crops. And so the driver often for protecting workers is the health standard that's in our food law. So for food, we just don't allow it. But for farm workers, and this is really a lesson in political power in Congress, the protections can be balanced away.
0: Are there any efforts to specifically help farm workers in regard to protecting them from pesticides, in addition to what we've talked about so far?
1: Yeah, there have been some great efforts. There have been some bans because of the risk to farm workers. We obtained a ban on another pesticide that was one of the top apple pesticides in Washington State and other orchards called Guthion, and that was because of the risks to farm workers. It's completely phased out now. There also are standards that EPA adopts that are labor standards to protect workers who apply pesticides and who go into the fields to tend to the crops or pick the crops. And we had an upgrade of those standards under the Obama administration, the first upgrade since 1982. And some very important protections were put in place. The first age limit on children going into the fields of age 18 We have notices, we have buffers around where the pesticide is applied, where there cannot be people, like within a buffer around where the sprayers are, more training, more posting of information. And that was really an important upgrade. It was one of Gina McCarthy's proudest achievements. Unfortunately, we now have proposals that have been floating around the Trump EPA to weaken those standards to allow children into the field, to have that be decided on a state-by-state basis, to weaken the buffers around the application site, and to weaken the role of third parties in being able to be advocates for the workers and get information about the risks.
0: Well, what's the message you'd like to leave our listeners with?
1: Well, I think the message is to be heard and to demand that EPA protect us and the people who grow our food from these dangerous pesticides, from chlorpyrifos, but the whole class of neurotoxic pesticides. They're archaic pesticides. They're pesticides that have been on the market because they're cheap, because they were developed by the Nazis. Uh, The research and development is done, but the toll they take on children, on families that deal with the learning disabilities, on schools, on the people who are poisoned, it's just too great. And people should speak up, demand that the federal government protect them, and if not, that the states step in.
0: Well, thanks so much for being here, Patty. My pleasure. You are just listening to Patty Goldman, managing attorney for the Northwest Office of Earth Justice. For more information, check on the web at earthjustice.org forward slash toxic food. Sustainability segment interviews are available as podcasts along with KEXP's music podcasts. Go to the podcast section of KEXP's website at KEXP.org. I'm Diane Horn. Thanks for listening on listener-powered 90.3 FM by mobile app and at kexp.org.